นโมทัสสะภะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสะFullness 
Okay, well, what's, what's this all about? And well, I think it's got something to do with concentration, and I'd like to consider this for a while. How how we how do we understand what we're doing when we concentrate? Usually, it seems to me that our understanding of concentration is an exercise in exclusivity. We exclude things from our attention. We narrow our attention down. And at least that's certainly how I approached it for many years. We narrow our field of awareness down, just like we do when we concentrate on reading a book or we concentrate on the screen of the computer. And we, we narrow our field of awareness down and we exclude other Stimulus. And is that the only way of concentrating? Mm-hmm. Now, you may have heard me speak before my personal favorite theory about what happened in the evolution of human beings around the time of the printing press. This is not something you read about in the scriptures, of course, but... Uh, in the contemplation of of how our attention works and what even happens in our brains when we're concentrating, when we increase the potency of attention. What else is going on when we increase the potency of the mind? Well, if it's this exclusive approach to concentration, which I personally think something dramatic really happened around the time of the printing press, before that, most people learned by listening to what was being said, which is a much more expanded field of awareness. They're still receiving information, or maybe they're looking, but they're looking in a way that the eyes are kind of like the ears, where they're receiving, the eyes are receiving information. Whereas once we do this reading thing, it's collapsing the field of awareness, it's it goes into more of a doing mode, a controlling mode. You know, you've got to stop the mind from you know, looking at a page of text, and you've got to stop the mind from scanning and going up forward. You've got to pay attention to this little black squiggle on a page. and That's a very different thing to do. And just think, how much of that do we do? You know, from very early on in life, you know, very early on in life, we're taught to do this with our attention. Now, I've, I've read a little bit about, not very much, certainly not enough to be qualified to comment very much on it, but what actually happens to the brain, the, the brain changes in its structure with this, this kind of application of attention. And I would suggest that culturally all sorts of things happened around the world. There has been quite a lot studied and written on the uh, subjugation and the dismissal of the of intuition and the feminine, all of these things correspond with the increase in activity of this collapsed, concentrated form of paying attention that, as I said, corresponds with the advent of the printing press. Now, this is not to demonize technology or I'm not advocating becoming a Luddite and going around smashing up uh, printing presses or computers, but I do think it contributes to our contemplation on what we're really doing when we think we're paying attention, when we're concentrating, is it's not the case that we have to go into controlling mode when we concentrate. You know, when we receive the teachings from 
Uh, in Thai, for instance, if you hear the teacher talking about concentrating, what we call concentrating on a breath, the teacher says dung jai, dung jai, which actually means setting up the heart. It doesn't mean to say collapsing attention, becoming narrow in your focus, on and then all the things that happen to our shoulders and our solar plexus when we have this collapsing the field of awareness. Setting up the heart, paying attention. Well, what would it be, or what does it feel like, that if by concentration, instead of being an exclusive quality of attention, if concentration is more a sense of conscious presence. That can be inclusive. Steadiness, yes, steadiness is important. Steadiness, I think, that's a factor that is essential. We're talking about developing concentration. There needs to be steadiness. But does there need to be this exclusiveness can there be an inclusive form of concentration where we expand our attention but hold the mind steady? It's worth experimenting with. Of late, it's happened quite a number of times. Um, not quite sure why, but in conversation with various people, the subject has come up of uh, old age and deterioration that comes with old age. And one of the reoccurring themes when the subject gets raised is how unfortunate all is. Old age is a really unfortunate thing. In fact, it goes further than that and says it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be like this. And it's wrong, basically. Dementia is definitely wrong. That's the theme. Maybe you stop and you look at it. And, well, is, do we have to do that? Do we have to make old age and deterioration? Do we have to make it wrong? What's the consequence of making it wrong? Well, it seems to me that there is a connection between the way we create problems out of what is just so, we create problems that we then have to put a lot of energy into struggling with, coping with, enduring, and maybe solving if we're lucky. There's a correlation between the way we pay attention. If we've created a problem, and then we think we've got to solve it, what do we do? We concentrate on it. And this happens in meditation. I hear people talking over and over again about their obstructions, their problems that come up in meditation. So I've got this problem with anger. And whenever I think about what my father said to me when I was 12 years old or, or maybe when I was 17 years old and he wouldn't let me borrow the car, it was a really important thing for me to have the use of the car and he wouldn't know. He was so insensitive in this. Whatever, we've all got memories in the past. That, and then people say, and I pay attention to it and it doesn't go away. And they, people often talk about being pulled into a vortex of energy, whether it's desire or, or, or anger or fear, anxiety, anticipation. It's something that happens a lot for people. And so you hear these teachings from the different teachers over and over again. You 
come back to the meditation object, come back to the meditation object, come back to meditation, concentrate on the breath, concentrate on the sound of silence, concentrate on your body contemplation. And if it doesn't work, if the object of distraction doesn't go away, then you carefully turn your attention and pay attention, concentrate on this obstruction. And then what happens over here? People get pulled into, in fact, potentize the distraction. This is very normal. And when I hear this, I well, wonder how this person is concentrating. What sort of quality of attention are they bringing to their meditation? If it's an inclusive form of concentration that is steady, conscious presence, conscious attention of this moment. There's a potentization, the mind becomes more potent, but doesn't necessarily become exclusive. Now, if we're coming from that place, we're coming from with that quality of attention, and then up comes a memory from the past, some painful feeling, some bit of history, some story that we're tempted to redefine ourselves with again. We don't have to become it. That vortex is there. Maybe it's the case we can pay attention, but it's not with that controlling, contracted form of paying attention. It's very different. So I hope you catch the drift of my contemplation, how important it is to take care and to be to be to understand what we're doing when we're concentrating. Old age, disintegration. We can say it's wrong, but we don't have to. You know, wrong making something comes up in meditation or in daily life. You know, you have a conflict in a relationship with somebody. Somebody is an interminable, irritating drivel that somebody's coming out with, and you've got to sit there and listen to it. And you can make it wrong, or you can say, "Well, you know, <laughs> receive it." We can receive in a conscious presence, or we can collapse and then contend and complain and and struggle. And how much longer do I have to put up with this? person and why are they saying these foolish things and yeah. where does that come from where do we create the problem how where did the problem get born the problem is not in the world the problem is not in the stimulus i'm sure the buddha and all the great realized beings had to listen to all sorts of waffle from all sorts of people who didn't know what they're talking about you listen to the buddha sitting there listening to these brahmins carrying on with their wacky ideas about things and did the buddha suffer did the buddha have relationship problems no <laughs> Yeah, Ajahn Chai, I don't think Ajahn Chai had relationship problems. Yeah. What's the difference between these great realized beings and us? The world is just so. Relationships are not always comfortable and agreeable. Our parents yeah, not always comfortable and agreeable. Our work companions not always comfortable and agreeable. The body not always comfortable and agreeable, particularly as we get old and deterioration sets in, and not just on the physical level, on the mental level. Somebody was visiting just uh, yesterday and with this elderly man who has been leader of the community for many years, uh, highly educated, responsible, impressive, intelligent, capable man, and now with old age, dementia is creeping in and the people caring for him are struggling over it. Uh, but the struggle is characterized by this 
view that it shouldn't be this way. And where does that come from? That's something that we're doing. So if in our meditation practice or in our contemplation, the way we concentrate is an activity of doing, trying to get the right position, which is very normal, I think this is a very normal thing, trying to get the right form of, we think right concentration is, is controlling the breath, or controlling, contracting, manipulating. And a lot of that is just coming from conditioned, deluded ego perspective. I'll be all right when I've got everything under control. Well, there's another way of approaching it, which is instead of controlling and doing with our concentration, we drop that and expand and include. Yes, the steadiness, the stillness, but an inclusive form of attention. Not to dismiss that focused, narrowed-down holding. There is a time for that but to also develop this expanded mode of holding and to have a balanced way of paying attention that this is more likely perhaps to be the context in which wisdom is going to arise. Now it's wisdom that sees that old age, sickness and death is just so. It's wisdom that sees that conflict in relationships is just so. It's wisdom that sees the world is this way. It's wisdom that knows when to be accepting and when to engage and act. Where is wisdom going to come from? Well, I suggest that wisdom is not going to come when all we've got access to is this controlling, excluding form of paying attention that I think many of us uh, have overdeveloped. There's the... Um, most of you, hopefully, will have read the the quote of teachings by Ajahn Chah on the calendar for this month, month of June. Um, whatever reasons earlier on in the month, I didn't get a chance to, to comment on this. and But it does fit in with our contemplation there where the text says something like, in the beginning we're taught to cease from doing that which is evil and to establish that which is good. But then we must transcend good and evil. Now the controlling, manipulating form of attention will just stop at the level of good and evil. We'll try to get rid of that which is bad and cultivate that which is good. And that's it. But the Buddha recognized that so long as we're doing that, we are not really living according with reality. We're, we're still creating conflict. We're still creating tension. He said there's another level, and he realized another level of understanding, called samaditi, or right understanding, right view, which is beyond good and evil, which is the level of awareness which sees that even good and evil are activity in the mind. Transcending good and evil. Now, if our mode of concentration, if the only mode of concentration that we're familiar with is this doing, controlling mode, then maybe we'll never approach, maybe we won't even intuit what the Buddha's talking about being able to fall back into just knowing, being able to see unwholesomeness in the mind without interfering with it. So often people have been meditating for years and they're still complaining about the content of their mind. The content of the mind, a lot of it you can do nothing about. It's just the 
past karma unfolding. When the conditions are right, boop, up it comes. And, you know, a certain sound comes along, a certain smell. Smells can be very, very strong stimulus. And I know, certainly personally, smells have a very strong effect on me. They, they bring up all sorts of old memories. And so you can't help that impression coming into the mind of a particular type of, of food smell. Maybe, you know, you, you go to the railway station to catch a train and there's a cooking bacon in the restaurant and the smell of roasted pig wafts through the air and you start salivating and you say, I'm a vegetarian. How should I shouldn't be thinking I shouldn't be I shouldn't be wanting to eat that dead pig. <laughs> Why do we have to make a problem out of the fact that liking arises? Now, who knows? Who cares? I mean, actually, the scientists have discovered that what goes on in the nose when these particular s- smells come off this, this poor dead pig that's being roasted, you know, that explanation still doesn't stop you from having liking arise in the mind. The fact is, I don't want to eat dead pig. I don't want to even kill the pig, let alone cook it and serve it. But it happens, and you can't change. You're never going to stop people from eating dead pigs. There's, people, there's always going to be people in the world who want to eat dead pig. And that's the way it is. So what are we going to do? Run away from the smell of dead pig? Or are we going to learn to relate to this particular stimulus in a different way? If all we know how to do is to concentrate and manipulate and collapse our our field of attention down into trying to understand it, then life is always going to be a struggle. Always going to be a struggle. But if we have access to another level of concentration, which is expanded, then maybe, maybe the smell of roasted pig, agreeable and lovely as it is, can arise in the mind and it doesn't have to create a disturbance. Maybe. Yeah, or agreeable, like desire, like. The, the fantasy of sitting in the sun beside a beautiful waterfall and being able to go swimming in this lovely little pond and, and and just being there alone and contemplating nature and listening to the birds, seeing how beautiful that would be, that likable fantasy could arise in the mind and it could be just so. We don't have to collapse around doing something with it. it it's just like that. It's like that. Or the you know, you, you start to see your memory fading. Say, oh, I remember when I was really acute with my memory, I could remember people's faces and names, and, and now look at me, I'm falling apart, I'm hopeless. But what is it? Is there a possibility of being able to fall back into awareness that can reflect on this happening, can see this happening, say, oh, look, that's what's going on, and not interfere with it? It's wholesome activity, unwholesome activity. There's a chance that the wisdom which knows, the wisdom and compassion that knows, that understands and knows how to respond in a balanced way to the stimulus, there's a chance that that wisdom and compassion will manifest if we have released out of the compulsive, contracted form of, of controlling and concentrating and manipulating. So I hope this uh, contemplation on concentration will be useful this evening. Thank you very much for your attention.